Hello, fellow dog-powered sports enthusiasts. This is Chelsea Murray, and you are listening to Positively Dog-Powered, a podcast that dives deep into the real world of positive reinforcement training and dog-powered sports. Okay, we are back with another episode, and in this episode, we're going to be sitting down and talking with good friend Allie. You might recognize Uh, recognize her from our previous episodes on reactive dogs. And she's going to sit with us today and talk to us all about our fearful dogs and how we can help them. Allie, thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you so much for having me, Chelsea. For those of our listeners who might have missed the earlier episodes, which if your dog is fearful, you should definitely head back to those episodes. Just a hint for you. Um, Can you give us a brief introduction of yourself, where you are in the animal world and how you enjoy dog powered sports? Yes. My name is Allie Lesnar. I am the owner and head trainer at The Animal Scientist, which is my own company. But currently, my nine to five is working for Victoria Stowell Academy as their curriculum manager. I got into the dog training world because, like many other people, I had a dog that needed some help. And I absolutely loved studying animal behavior uh, as a Georgia Tech biology student. I started in snakes. So I am that crazy snake lady, but ended up going to Karen Pryor Academy where I met you, Chelsea, Mm -hmm. and was so lucky to have you in my class, got started as a dog trainer. And now here I am working for my childhood hero, Victoria Stowell. So I am been in the dog training industry for what, six years now? Mm -hmm. It's been, been quite a while. And I am really looking forward to talking about fear because I have had some fear in my life lately. (laughs) I've been picking up a new sport, mountain biking. And I found without a I, dog. Let me without a dog. She does bike jar, but this is mountain biking without the dog. Without the dog. And I mean to tell you, I now know what fear is. It's been a while. I know as an adult, we have, I feel like I have a lot of anxiety when it comes to things, but not mm-hmm. a whole lot of like real fear. And so now I'm getting to this point where I'm looking down this trail and I'm going, oh my gosh, like this, this is scary. <laughs> This is, uh, I'm feeling some fear in my life right now. Yeah. So I did talk you know, about this today. That, that is interesting that you bring that up. I feel like as kids, well, maybe all kids aren't like this, but as a kid, I was fearless. I mean, I did all kinds of crazy things and don't even really remember feeling afraid, even after I injured myself. And now when I do something, if I hurt myself doing it, I have so much fear about doing it again, so much anxiety around you know, the buildup to doing something. Isn't that funny how that changes as you become an adult? It is. You know, I'm, I'm working with some coaches right now, some triathlon coaches, and they talk about pain and all these different studies with athletes. And many times, once you injure yourself, it's the anticipation of doing it again, mm-hmm. that we almost fear that happening more than it actually happening itself. Uh, so I found the same thing. But Chelsea, you did some pretty crazy stuff too. Were you ever afraid? I know you did horseback riding as I did. I definitely yeah. had some moments where I wasn't as fearful as the other kids. Some of the kids would just take off on these jumps and I was always a little more cautious. What about you? Yeah, I was not. I, I was not. I don't remember myself being afraid and and I did some crazy things. I mean, grew up competitive as a competitive equestrian rider. And even thinking back younger, I mean, we used to do a ton of bareback riding with full courses and gymnastics set up and no hands and vaulting and all kinds of crazy things. And I was just, didn't worry about it. But I, I do feel like the injury component is real because now I definitely, and part of this is me getting older and part of me with uh, autoimmune disease. But when I injure myself, it just hurts more. 
and the recovery period is so much longer for me. So uh, that definitely hit home when you were talking about kind of that buildup of it, you know, yeah. and, and anticipating it happening again. Yeah. And I wonder if that's it, that it's, of course, it's the initial pain and discomfort, but then also knowing that your goals have now pushed back. If you had yeah. goals before, now we've got to get on the recovery train. And, you know, so I wonder, I don't think our dogs are really thinking about that with their season. When, the, when yeah. I, I think about, uh, we have a Husky, Lizzie, who seems to have no fear and will jump off all sorts of walls. Whereas Klaus, my standard poodle, who definitely has some surface sensitivities, he is much more cautious when it comes mm -hmm. to things and tends to display uh, much more things that would suggest that he is fearful. And yeah. doesn't take as many chances as Lizzie, for sure. Yeah, and that's that's the interesting thing I think about fear with dogs is that there can be such a big spectrum in terms of how afraid they are and in what circumstances they show those signals to us. So why don't we start off with kind of, we've talked about fear a little, we've talked about anxiety. Let's kind of uh, define them a little bit so that all of our listeners know exactly what we're talking about. Because today we are going to focus a bit more on the fear component. Mm -hmm. And it, um, at Victoria Stowell Academy, we make a big distinction between fear and phobia, that mm -hmm. fear is something that's adaptive. Like fear is normal. If we didn't have fear, we'd probably die. <laughs> you know, we So having a healthy fear of when you're crossing the street, you know, we teach children to be slightly fearful, to look right and left before crossing the street. So fear can be what we call in the biology world adaptive. It can help mm -hmm. us. It can help us become more fit. It can help us uh, you know, increase our longevity. Whereas phobia, we find maladaptive. So this is something that is not helping us increase our fitness or not helping us in life. It's really holding us back. So for example, if you really want, if you get a new job that you'd love to take, but it's on the 30th floor of a building and you're afraid of heights and you won't take that job because you're afraid of heights, that may be a phobia. Mm -hmm. Because that's something it's not helping you. It's literally getting in the way of your life versus if you're on that 30th story and you get little, you know, butterflies in your stomach and your mm -hmm. toes tickle when you walk up to the edge, you know, that's a healthy fear. You need to have a fear of potentially falling off that 30th story. So that's kind of the difference between fear and phobia. But today I think we're going to focus more on fear. Is that right, Chelsea? Yeah. And I, that is an important distinction too, is that to some extent, fear is helpful because we need a certain level of fear in order to survive, especially if we're talking about it from an animal standpoint. You know, unless you're the total apex predator, you need to have some fear of your surroundings in order to keep yourself safe and keep living. Um, and generally, when we're talking about fear with our dogs or even fear with us, you know, there can be a specific uh, stimulus that is around, that's perceived, and then that is what causes the fear. So um, let's say, for example, we are coming up to a crosswalk, right? If we see a car heading towards us quickly, we plant our feet, we're afraid we're going to get hit. That car is what then kind of started that fear response for us. When we're talking a little bit more about anxiety, it's something where there isn't necessarily that stimulus that is obvious at least or not perceived. So it's kind of, I don't know what is stressing my dog out, but my dog is definitely uncomfortable in this environment, right? It's kind of a general sense of uh, uneasiness, a uh, general sense of, of stress and concern, but we don't specifically, we aren't specifically able to pick out a stimulus or a trigger that's then causing that fear. So we can see fear with a lot of different things when it comes to our dog powered sports. And obviously, 
certain breeds that might be a little more cautious about things, um, might be predisposed to have more struggles with fear when we're talking about our dog-powered sports. So let's first kind of talk about what fear might look like for a dog. So if let's maybe we'll say our dog is afraid of loud noises, that loud noise is going to be the stimulus or the trigger that creates that fear for our dog. And what would our listeners see from their dog? So they're going to see things like ears back, panting, trembling. They're going to see what Lizzie has this one, dilated pupils. Her eyes just get huge and those Mm -hmm. ears go back. A lot of open mouth panting. Um, We may see the typical cower, but not all dogs cower so expressively like you'd see in like the Looney Tunes or something. But instead, it's just that slight elbow, a bend in the elbow is something to look for in dogs. That's something I learned uh, in my canine fitness program is just looking for that slight bend can be a big, big sign. So shifting their weight, even just slightly back of center. So if the dog's Mm -hmm. just slightly leaning backwards or away from that triggering stimulus, um, tense muscles. So I can't really see this on my standard poodle. And that's kind of harder to see on Huskies as well that are particularly fluffy, but if you do, you can see your dog's tense muscles. That will be a sign Um, or just staring at something. So Lizzie, Lizzie and Klaus have very different reactions. Whereas Klaus is more likely to bark at something. Lizzie is much more likely to just stare and continue Mm -hmm. to stare and will not really want to look away from that thing, which makes sense. If there's something totally scary, you don't necessarily want to take your eye off of it. I think about, um, there's a big spider in the room. It's so scary to all of a sudden lose it. Like you, you look away for a second and then Uh you look back and it's not there. And you're like, where did it go? (laughs) So I try to describe it like that to clients that it's, yeah, it would behoove us to keep our eyes on the thing that's scary. Yeah. You got to keep your eye on it, see where it's going to go because we don't want it to get any closer if we're afraid of it, but you know, if we're perceiving it as a threat, something that we should be worried about. And that's great because you can, you can totally see from dog to dog, even dogs within the same breed are going to express fear a little differently. When we talked about our reactive dogs back in the earlier episodes, you know, reactivity can definitely be a a response that we see because the dog is feeling fear. So you might see that big growling, barking, lunging type response, and it it can be from fear. You can also see the dog, um, you know, kind of approach and retreat. Like they want to go check it out, but then they're not so sure. We got to back away again. That was a little scary. Um, Or you could see the dog that is like, get me out of here. I can't handle this. You know, they're more trying to flee, run away, hide. So being very observant about body language and knowing how our dogs are expressing uh, their stress and how they respond to fear is going to be really important. And a lot of these things we just talked about are big and obvious, but I always love to point out that once you start observing your dog's body and all the signals you're, they're giving you, you'll actually realize that a lot more things stress them out than you thought did. And there's so many little signals you might see. And while yes, you know, putting on a harness might cause a little bit of fear, but my dog still comes to me for the harness. I can still get the harness on. It's always important to remember that our goal is that the whole thing is positive for them, you know, and something that they might tolerate short-term could turn into them not tolerating it in the future. So we always want to pick up on those little signs of stress, those little signs of fear, so that we can help our dogs feel more comfortable when we have that in our power. 
And many times when you're looking for those little ones, it really helps out because like, for example, Klaus, if he's already barking at something, he has gone over his threshold. That's where mm -hmm. he has decided he's perceived the thing. He has decided it is scary and he decided it, he wants it to go away. Now I say decided like he has full cognitive function and control over this thing. Right. But when I, when I'm talking about it, I'm more thinking of like his neurotransmitters have already fired processed and, mm -hmm. and his body is now acting that this thing needs to go away. So what I like to back up is I'll say sometimes, oh, I, I need to, I need to step away because Klaus is going to bark. And the people around me will say, well, how do you know? And it's because I can tell before he was loosely sniffing on the ground, whereas now he is staring, he's gotten a little more still, his ears are now forward or back, but they're not moving, they're not, he's not looking around and he's just focused on this one thing and now his lips are slightly coming forward or back. So it's these little differences that now I can help him out ahead of time so we don't have to get to those big expressive, I need to get out of here, pancake, you know, running the other way. So we wanna to start to look for those minute signals and then that's, you're right, Chelsea, we'll see how many times our dogs really do make all those little changes in their behavior. Yeah. And I, it's so important whenever we can to help prevent those big explosions, because not only is that obviously a significant amount of stress that the dog is feeling. And as we know, with stress, everything, all the stress hormones, those are in the body circulating. So even once the stressful event is over, it's not like we can just flip that stress off like a light switch. You know, I, I always remind people, think of the last time you were almost in a car accident. Your hand is shaking. You know, you might have an increased respiration rate, right? Maybe you're not really thinking clearly. Just because you go, okay, we didn't crash, right? <laughs> I can keep driving. Just because that, that big bad thing didn't happen, your body is still out of whack. And it is for a while. And the same thing happens for our dogs when they have to have those big emotional responses to something when they get that, that worried or that fearful. So whenever we can, we want to, in our training plan, be observant of those signals and be able to step in and help them out before there's that big response because all of those stress hormones that are then circulating in their body stay there. You know, when the dog is further increasing how fearful they are of that stimulus or that trigger. And so when we're trying to help our dogs gain more confidence and comfort in their surroundings, you know, part of that really does come down to prevention. Yeah, I was just thinking of how right you are when you talk about leaving the body and those that fear still being in. Klaus and I were on a run the other day in Canyon Crossa in harness, strapped to each other, running out. We just got back to the we just got to the part we're about to turn around and come back. And it's dusk. I do have a headlamp with us, but I heard some coyotes mm -hmm. and they sounded really close. And he looks at me and I look at him and I'm like, oh my gosh, buddy. So we start to run back. And of course I get a little bit faster and I hear them again. And I it just start going through my head like, oh my goodness, what if they see us? What Am I going to let him go? Are we attached? And I tell you, I looked at my watch afterwards to see what my heart rate was doing. And it was so much higher than it normally <laughs> is. And it, it took a while to have that all come out. So yeah. I, I imagine our dogs feel a similar way if your dog is displaying some signs of fear on the trail. Mm -hmm. If he thinks there's something out there, <laughs> literally there was something out there this time, but it, it definitely impacted my uh, physiological signaling. Yeah. One of the things that I'm sure drives you a little nuts as well is that there's this really big misconception that if your dog is fearful, the dog needs to just buck up, 
and handle it and get over it. Lots of people are, oh, don't coddle your dog. You know, don't tell them it's okay because people think that you will reinforce fear. But in reality, we know that that's not true. And in fact, being a source of comfort for our dogs can actually help them recover quicker and help them feel more comfortable about their surroundings. So if we get in that situation where our dog is already pretty overwhelmed and fearful of whatever that trigger is or that stimulus is, how do you go about comforting your dogs? Yeah, I like to think about it. Um, I take a page out of Victoria's book here. She talks about being an emotional anchor for your dog. If you think about a child, when your child is really upset, you don't want to just tell them, oh, whatever, just deal with it. You know, you're their mom. You're supposed to be there for them. So you want to be that strong emotional anchor that says, hey, I see that you're upset. I acknowledge, I validate your feelings. I see that you're upset. Let's get through this together. So many times if I see that Klaus is upset, I will first get him out of that situation. So I'll Mm -hmm. take, even if it's just walking six feet away from wherever it was, I may ask him to go sniff because I know that sniffing can help him lower his heart rate a little bit. I'll even mimic some breathing because sometimes we can also be a trigger for our dog's fear if they see that we are fearful or we're getting anxious about something. So many times I'll take deep breaths and um, I'll even make like a motion of breathing, pulling my hands up, pulling my hands down. And that's something that I conditioned him to do just when we were relaxing in the living room. And then I'll also talk to him in a slow, calming voice. I can't tell you how many times I've seen this with my own mother. I love you, mom. Um, but she, <laughs> she knows that he can be reactive as well. And so she'll immediately start and say, Klaus, it's okay. Klaus, it's okay. Klausi, 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 it's okay. And she means really well, but I notice that it gets him, it's almost another cue for him to get mm-hmm. more anxious. And I'm guilty of that as well. I do the same thing, that then I get more anxious, try and overcompensate. So I think the key is to, it, if you're one to kind of correct your dog, if you're like, oh, stop it, you know, get out of that. The best thing we can do is just be neutral, at least. Mm-hmm. We don't want to add to that situation. So maybe just take a deep breath yourself. Maybe remove yourself from the situation. We always want to be safe. And then if we do want to start to think about helping our dogs, to think about something that they can do to help them return their physiological s- signals to normal. So any mm-hmm. sniffing, breathing. I don't know, Chelsea, what do you do with your pups? Yeah, I I think that's great. I I love what you said about how what we do at the other end of the leash has such a big impact because oftentimes we mean well, but when our dogs start getting stressed or if let's say for example, our dog is reactive when they get fearful, it can be easy for us humans to be overcome by our emotions as well. And we start feeling all of those same stress signals that the dog is, and we're unable to process things quite as well as we normally do. So I think that if we're somebody that's maybe very in tune to the dog and sensitive to their emotions, or if we are somebody who is kind of quick to to get hot, right, have a quick temper, a short temper, I think that it's important to ahead of time come up with a game plan. You know, so if you know that you've got a fearful dog, think now, if I see my dog exhibiting signs of fear, what am I going to do? And a lot of the time, like you said, definitely back up, right? Because the closer the boogie monster is, the more scary it is for sure. (laughs) If I see, if I'm walking down the street and I see a clown in a storm drain, 
you bet your bum I'll be 50 feet down the street, right? So <laughs> the further away I am, the more comfortable I'm going to feel for my safety. So that's the first thing that I would do. And then if that human is also feeling those signs of stress, you know, dump a handful of treats on the ground and say, find it and try to get the dog engaged in something else. And then take some deep breaths, you know, try to give yourself some, some compassion in that situation as well. And, and have a game plan ahead of time as to what you want to do. You know, deep breathing is really relaxing. Um, and that can help slow your heart rate down, reduce any shaking that you might have as a human. Um, but yeah, my goal for the dog is to kind of go into action mode and figure out what exactly is stressing the dog out, how afraid of it are they, and then determine how far away I need to be, if there's any visual barriers that I could maybe hide behind to maybe decrease the intensity of that stimulus. Um, and then I try to just be close to my dog because oftentimes, you know, if I'm standing up, it's my dog is scanning the surrounding. It's, it's a lot harder for them to look up at me for example, and offer eye contact. You know, we do a lot of attention games to get the dogs focused, but when they're stressed out, that's really hard. So I'll often play a go sniff game or a find it game. And then I'll even bend down on the ground, depending on how worried they are and be that source of comfort because lots of dogs find comfort in contact. You know, there's a reason the thunder shirts work on dogs. There's a reason you as a human feel comfort with a hug. And so I, I like to do the same thing for my dogs. They're big leaners. And so I'll, I'll kind of kneel down and they'll lean against me and I'll just do some gentle, calm strokes, you know, just some easy one direction, open hands petting to slowly help them relax and reinforce any good choices, assuming they're taking food, reinforce any good choices they make right? Of those big, deep breaths or choosing to sniff or choosing to lean, choosing to sit or lay down, right? Kind of reinforcing those, those choices and their ability to relax and then hoping that that gets easier and easier for them each time. And Chelsea, you just mentioned taking food. So not taking food can mm -hmm. be another sign of fear. So if you mm -hmm. notice that your dog was taking food, now all of a sudden they've stopped, that can be a good indicator that we need to decrease the intensity of whatever that stimulus was. I love that you talked about just being there for your dog. So I, I'll take a page out of the Tellington Touch yeah. a book and do some slow circles. Like I'll take two fingers and put it right on my dog's chest and do slow calming circles. Mm -hmm. You'll also find that it's funny to watch people, maybe they're having a conversation with someone at a coffee shop and they're getting a little uncomfortable. They'll start to pet their dog faster and faster yeah. and faster. <laughs> I see that with clients sitting on the couch, having consultations with them, that they'll just start to pet their dog faster and faster as they talk. And the dog is starting to pant because this person <laughs> is transferring this kind of <laughs> nervous energy. Right. Um, but I think that's important. And I think so much of what we do can have an impact. I was just listening to Kim Brophy of The Dog Door, and she was talking about how ego can really get in the way. And yeah. I'm guilty of it as a dog trainer. You know, we if you're the breeder of this dog or if you're the trainer of this dog, it's a dog you've produced or a dog that you've had a big hand in or it's your personal dog. It's almost like we feel embarrassed or guilty mm -hmm. or just when this dog is displaying fear, we think for some reason, like, no, I need to have a super confident dog that can deal with anything, you know, and that's just so not true. We don't have to have dogs that are totally bomb proof. I think about a phobia that I have is butterflies. I make no mistake of it. I think it's fun to talk about because it's slightly hilarious. And, you know, I don't want my mom to feel guilty. She didn't, this wasn't a genetics thing. This was 
<laughs> maybe my grandma was afraid of butterflies. I don't know, but it's not, it's not her fault that I'm afraid of butterflies. And even if it is, that doesn't matter in this moment. What she mm -hmm. can do is be there for me and, and help me get through this moment of a butterfly invasion, which happens sometimes. We had just had the monarch migration and I saw a lot of them anyway, but being there for your dog and kind of taking a page of, am I, am I reacting this way because I feel like I need to have this dog behave this mm -hmm. way? Or can I take myself out of the equation? Can I take my ego out of the equation and just be there for my dog? Yeah. Now, in terms of helping our dogs feel more comfortable and confident, we obviously can have a uh, multifaceted approach because in general, you know, our goal is to be that source of comfort for them. But if we want to help them feel more comfortable, we also have to work on a training plan with them to help help them experience these uh, stressors or these stimuli at a low enough level that they're not overwhelmed and then help change their emotional response or create a CER, a conditioned emotional response, so that they no longer see that stimuli as something fearful or scary. They then will feel more comfortable and confident about it. So talk to us a little bit about training plans when you start. So obviously the first step is we have to identify any stimuli that causes our dog to be fearful. Um, and what kinds of things can those be? It can really be anything that your dog is able to perceive. It could be a sight. So it could be something that your dog sees. It could be, uh, you know, we always talk about the proverbial men in hats, but really it can be, it could be, it could be heights. It could be uh, bicycles. I'm thinking of a lot of things on, on the drawing, in the drawing world of that we would see that dogs may be afraid of. So it can be something that they see, something that's fast moving. It could be a scary tree. <laughs> that There's this one really scary tree on a, on a road that we have that has a big hole in it. And it looks like a person just standing there in the forest. It's really creepy. A photographer um, standing along yes, the trail or a spectator. Uh, it can also be smells. Sometimes... We've had weird moments where I know um, Victoria's dog got stung by a bee in this one part of a trail that happened to smell like these certain flowers. So whenever she smells these flowers, now she will, she would get really anxious. So this is the older dog she had, Sadie. So I thought that was very interesting. And many times, you know, no one did anything wrong. This bee flew out of nowhere and stung Sadie. And so now she has associated it with this smell. So it can be anything, again, anything that your dog can perceive. Could be perhaps your dog accidentally stepped on a really painful rock when going through a creek and now creek crossings can be really scary or that this harness, we tried on a harness that was a little too small and now this dog finds harness is really restrictive and doesn't want to do that or got a rub. I've seen this with many of our uh, really athletic pity mixes that mm -hmm. they get the under, I call it the like pity underarm that the harness rubs on on that skin and now they find wearing harnesses uh, very uncomfortable understandably so yeah so really it's anything the dog can perceive and we kind of have to put on our our scientific glasses of finding out what is this thing so what is it what happens right before our dog tends to display these fearful behaviors like chelsea said the first thing is recognizing these fearful behaviors mm -hmm. second thing is what happens right before and then what are we doing after to help our dog so that we can start to figure out what is it that's causing this? Cause you may not know what, yeah. what is it? 
Yeah. And I think that it's important to know that you don't necessarily have to know why the fear has started. Sometimes it's really obvious, like our dog was doing great bike joring and all of a sudden we crashed. Now our dog is freaked out about the bike. Um, But it could be something where we can't make that identification of why this fear started. The important thing is that you can now see that it has started and that you're going to kind of step in to help your dog. And I like to do a combination of desensitization and counter conditioning. So desensitization is exposing the dog to something at, you know, low enough volumes that eventually they get accustomed to it or used to it. And then counter conditioning is normally done once a dog already has a negative association with something. And we pair something of value, something that's very positive for them with that stimuli or that trigger. And then it changes how the dog feels emotionally about that. And so I like to combine them and work where they're experiencing whatever stimuli is causing them stress, but it's at such a low level that there's no stress that they're feeling. And then we pair that with basically food is is what we use most often, Um, a really high value treat. So again, going back to that bike scenario, I'm going to lay a bike on the ground 50 feet away from the dog. No pressure. It's not threatening. It's really far away. The dog doesn't need to be worried, but they can see it. They're very aware that it's there. And I'm going to click and treat or say yes and treat the dog for looking at it, for taking a step towards it right? The dog's allowed to move away if they want. There's, I'm not forcing the dog to interact with it, but every choice they make to go check it out and to get closer and to be curious, I'm reinforcing the dog for that. So not only are they getting reinforcement for interacting with that object that's causing them fear, but it's totally their choice to do it. And I'm helping pair the sight and the presence of that stimuli with something positive, ultimately changing how the dog feels emotionally about it. I think one thing that's really important about that, Chelsea, is you said the bike was laying down 50 feet away. So yeah. notice we're not in, we're not actually practicing the sport at the time. Mm-hmm. I have now noticed after dating my running partner for so long that having serious uh, relationship talks is not yeah. a good idea to do during runs because your, you know, your endorphins are going like adrenaline is pumping and we can be really reactive when we're doing sports. So mm-hmm. it may be best to have serious conversations. And in this case, when we're dealing with fear, this kind of is like having a serious conversation with your dog. It's best to do this when things are already calm. Yeah. So rather than doing this right before you go out for a run, it may be best to do this on one of your off days, on your rest days, or maybe even a few hours after you've run so that you can help your dog regulate this emotion. So we're setting them up for success rather than just trying to do it in the middle of a workout is probably not the best time to make this happen. So maybe your dog struggles to Uh, pass other dogs on runs, you know, we wouldn't want to start off with doing that on a run. We can start with doing that at a walk at a park, not even in our equipment. Mm -hmm. So starting in a very neutral setting or really relaxed setting and building up to that. Now, I also hear some of you on the other end, like (laughs) rolling your eyes because you're thinking, oh my gosh, this is going to take forever. And for some of you, it might. On the other hand, it may go a lot faster than you think. I know Klaus and I were actually in a car accident. And after that, I had to get a new car. And my whole plan was to get a new car and slowly transition him to the new car. 
but it didn't happen that way. My car was totaled. I had to get a new car. It looked totally different on the inside. Idiot dog trainer got all black interior instead of all gray. How dare I? And so now I had to recondition Klaus to this new car. And I had to do it slowly over time. But honestly, it went a lot faster than anticipated. Even though he was displaying signs of fear when getting into the car, It only if I took, oh, I don't know, maybe it was like five minutes a day. I did that for two weeks and he was totally fine. And I mm -hmm. think that that was worth it. Right. Because I know that in other ways we have had trouble on the bike. If we've had a crash, it may take months to come back from that. So I really think it's worth putting in that work just little bits at a time. And maybe you'll see the, the strides that your dog is taking. Yeah. And I think that you're right in the sense of breaking things out of the context that they're normally in, you know, mm -hmm. so if let's say again, going back to the bike example where we had a crash, the dog's now afraid of the bike. There's no harnesses out. I'm not working on, you know, getting the dog connected. I'm not having the dog pass other dogs. You know, there's nothing about it that says bike drawing, except that there's a bike and it's really far away, you know, but the goal is to always allow your dog to dictate the pace, which I think can be really hard for people. Like you said, because we look at it and we go, oh my gosh, this is going to take forever. But in reality, if your dog knows they can trust you and your dog knows that you respect those stress signals, that relationship is going to grow and your ability to work with them is going to improve, you know, and then we just add tiny layers into the mix every time the dog is successful. So yeah, while my first session might be the bike, you know, 30 to 50 feet away, very quickly, the bike is going to be in a friend's hand as they're walking it, you know, and then the bike is underneath my friend as they're riding it around a parking lot and we're just sitting back and watching and earning treats for it, you know? And so very slowly you add in more and more layers, getting you closer and closer back into what you were doing initially, but making sure that you're constantly watching what the dog is telling you. How many stress signals am I seeing? Am I seeing the dog trying to get away and avoid the situation? You know, there's not a lot of progress that I can make in that circumstance if the dog is pretty overwhelmed by the sight of that trigger. And many times just doing something your dog really loves. So for Lizzie, you know, she's not like, yes, she takes treats outside and things, but she, going fast is even more reinforcing. So sometimes mm -hmm. we'll just go buy something and then we'll get to run really fast afterwards. Or for her working with a bike is we just started playing around the backyard while yep. one of us was riding a bike. And she didn't even seem to notice it. And then the person that had the toy now gets transferred to near closer to the bike or the person on the bike, or we integrate the bike into the play. And it's totally not in a bike drawer setting. It's just in the backyard having fun. So thinking of new ways, new ways to do that and adding more and more complexity in it as we move on. Yeah. I love that you brought up play because play is such an important part of an animal's life. Uh, and if they're too stressed out, they can't play. So just like their ability to take food and that telling us how stressed out they are, play is also a great indicator of that, right? If the dog loves playing with their tennis ball, prop the bike up against the fence in the backyard and play ball. Or if the dog isn't crazy about their harness going on, you know, counter condition the process of the harness going on, teach them how to put it on, on cue like a trick with get dressed. And then every time that harness goes on, they get to play ball right? They get that special ball that's hiding in the closet that only comes out for this game, right? To kind of build the excitement, allowing more and more good and fun things to happen. And that play can really loosen up the dog's body, get that adrenaline going, but in a good way, right? And get all those endorphins going as well. 
Yeah, we can use that as a cool down too. And we come back in, that can be the reward for the workout afterwards once they actually get to get their bike ball out again at the end of the day, which would be a great thing. And Chelsea, there's one thing I feel like that we've missed. And it's something that I've picked up on with my new sport of mountain biking. And that's new places. Every time I get to a new place, sometimes I seem to almost start over again with my mountain biking that I get really nervous. I don't know the trail. Uh, and I almost, it's kind of like inevitable, like in the first mile to two miles, I kind of have a mini freak out and it's almost like I forgot how to bike and I mm -hmm. get really scared of the heights that I wasn't scared of before. And I found that sometimes just being in the environment, riding it once or even walking it, hiking it once. So if you have a dog that struggles with environments and new places, sometimes going on like a survey hike and just walking around the park in canny hiking or just loose leash is a great way to help your dog have fun in these new places rather than just immediately going and bike drawing a new trail. I don't know, have you found that with new places with your guys or any of your clients? Oh, absolutely. And even with myself, I mm -hmm. mean, uh, right now it's summertime. So my brain is on water activities um, and we go paddle boarding quite a bit. And anytime we're coming up to a new place, you know, I'm always like, how busy is it going to be? Is the water going to be really rough? Are there going to be places that we can, you know, let the dogs run around? You know, and same thing with hiking and biking. You know, am I going to be able to handle this hill, even though it's probably less big of a hill than what we normally do at the other park, but it's new. And so that newness can definitely give you a little um, a little more fear or a little more stress or anxiety. Um, and I love that, again, because your example is just breaking it down into pieces. And that's always what we want to do with our dogs that have emotions, big emotions about things is figure out how many small pieces we can break something down into to slowly allow them to get used to it and adjust to it. So if your dog is worried about new places, go to that new place, but take it really easy. I mean, you don't even have to hike. You could bring a mat or a cot and practice place, practice attention, practice hand targets, play a little ball, go home. And the next time you hit the trails and then the next time you're canna crossing and then the next time you're bike drawing, you know, slowly getting the dog more and more comfortable with that environment. But again, allowing the dog to set the pace, taking things slow in the beginning. And as they feel more comfortable, you know, they'll willingly and physically be able to do quite a bit more. I can't tell you how important that is just to go chill at a place so that every time we get in the car and go somewhere, it's not a cue to run as fast as you can. Mm -hmm. um, but just going and chilling at a place and even having, I mean, I challenge, I challenge all of you this week just to go out once to a place where you normally run and instead take a sniffy walk because it can yeah. be a really big challenge or go check out someplace new and just have a sniffy walk and see how antsy your dog can be just getting there. Um, there's one thing you, you also mentioned, Chelsea, about uh, paddle boarding is I was thinking these things that trigger fear are not just during the sport. Mm -hmm. And many times this can occur before and after, like carrying your paddleboard down to the dock and carrying your life jacket, your oar, your huge paddleboard, and then expecting your dog to walk nicely, loosely next to you. Yeah. When this paddleboard can be so scary. So practicing those things, it can be everything. I mean, we could have a whole, <laughs> a whole nother uh, podcast on just you know, everything from nail care yeah. to anything else. But all of these principles we're talking about with fear apply not only to when we're practicing the sport, but also in preparing for the sport and grooming and equipment and everything that comes into play. Yeah. And the more, the more you do it, the more you work on tackling those fears, the easier it's going to be. 
And that's true with people and with dogs. You know, the more, if my dog's worried about surfaces, the more surface games I can play and getting them on different textures and letting them know that in fact, it's not scary. In fact, good things happen. In fact, we can have fun doing this. Each of those little fears are going to become less and less. And that confidence that they're learning with services or crates can then transfer to bikes, you know? So kind of think of this as a lifestyle, boosting your dog's confidence, encouraging them to check things out because the more they learn that the world around them isn't scary and that good things happen, you know, the easier it's going to be. One thing I do want to bring up on that note is the difference between exposure and building positive associations, because lots of times we think, okay, my dog is scared of new places. I'm just going to go to all the new places. And while sometimes that's totally fine, and in fact, and sometimes that's a good thing, sometimes it can be very harmful for our dogs because exposing them and just getting them out there does not necessarily help them get over their fear. We have to help them build a positive association with that trigger. So again, we talk a lot about food, but we can also use play, but we have to make sure that the dog is learning that that thing is okay and not just experiencing it and then nothing bad happens. So, hey, they learned it's good because unfortunately that's not the way it works. Mm -hmm. And I was just thinking about this yesterday because I was talking about butterflies if a butterfly flies by on my bike, I'm going to fall off because I'm so freaked out about it. And yet yesterday, a the most beautiful gardener stake I'd ever seen in my life slithered across the trail. And I nearly leaped off my bike from excitement because I wanted to go chase him down and grab him and look at him. Yeah. So for those of you that are like, what's wrong with this crazy lady? <laughs> it's that I'm a crazy snake lady, but I wasn't always this way. It was because there was this teeny tiny little snake named Pinky. I named him Pinky at the state park where I used to intern and he was so teeny tiny and cute. Meanwhile, I was scared of the big black snake in, in the tank and she was scary and the corn snake was scary, but Pinky was so teeny tiny and cute. And the more I played with him, I was like, wow, he's really cool. I like how he moves that I started to play with the other snakes. I started to get them out and get more comfortable with them. It's not that I jumped in a vat of snakes. Right. So when we're thinking about that with our dogs, it's we don't just want to take them, like you said, Chelsea, to as many places as possible. The reason I love snakes, love them, jump off my bike to go get them is because I was exposed in teeny tiny positive experiences mm -hmm. rather than just being bombarded or thrust into snakes. It's also really important that I, someone didn't bring the, this big black snake and put it in my hand. I went and I had the choice. So it was a consent thing that mm -hmm. I got to go and choose to be near this thing. So when we're thinking about having our bike in the middle of a field and allowing our dog to choose to go closer to it, rather than kind of making this really weird game where it's, if you go over there, I will give you a treat or else. You right. know? And having doing this on leash, we think about how many times, how much fear we can create by just having our dogs on leash sometimes, that mm -hmm. we take away their option for avoidance. We take away their ability to get away. So we really do want to watch their body language and see if they want to get away. We allow them to move away. And we just try and be there as that emotional anchor to help them ex work through this themselves almost. Yeah. I love what you said about the vat of snakes. I was literally talking with friends today about fear factor and how much that show stressed me out because they would always make people get in these big vats with everything I'm afraid of, everything I'm afraid of, and and how that just does not work, right? That that would, in fact, make me feel more uncomfortable with it. Oh, so it's I, so, yeah, oh, cringing. I, 
I just went through a spider web this weekend on my mountain bike and had a huge black spider on my face. Uh. It was crawling from my visor to my nose. Luckily, I had glasses on. But, you know, the big thing about that, Chelsea, though, is still that those people consented to be on that show. That is true. I would never consent to be on that show. (laughs) They didn't go kidnap these people off the street and throw them in there. I don't, that would be illegal, but also it'd be kind of interesting. (laughs) The weird, you know, psychologist in me wants to do that, to go see the difference between someone and so we all we often want to think about are our dogs really able to consent to this and the answer is kind of not really so we want to be able to look for as many of those stress signs and fear signs like we mentioned earlier as we can to help give them that autonomy help give them as much consent as possible so that they feel not just because we're progressive and we want them to feel better but literally it will behoove us it will make everything faster and better if we do so that they're under their own power making these changes. And I think that the key is the choice to approach and we reinforce, but also the choice to get away. They Mm -hmm. always have the ability to say, I can't or not right now or no thanks. And then we have to figure out how we can make the game more fun, more inviting for them and easier, right? Again, Mm -hmm. splitting it into smaller pieces, putting that that fear trigger further away, um, changing how it looks, i.e. a bike standing up versus a bike laying down, you know, figuring out what we can do where our dog can play the game and wants to play the game. I have another really weird analogy for you, Chelsea, but just this weekend, my parents are in town this weekend and they got this beautiful suite at a hotel and they wanted me to hang out with them for the weekend. Um, But my, I won't mention who, but one of them or maybe both of them snores a little bit. And there actually isn't a door between the suite. And so they offered, would you want to come stay with us? And I'm like, eh, I don't know. I could stay here with my boyfriend who also snores, but we have a guest room. And I can't tell you how powerful it is. The, the ability for me to have the choice to get away from that noise, because I suffer from some noise sensitivities, makes all the difference in the world. I could probably mm-hmm. sleep through the night with some snoring, knowing that I could have the power to get away then if you're trapped in this room and I can't leave or, and obviously I have the power to leave if I wanted to and go sleep in the hallway in my pajamas, but (laughs) say I couldn't leave that difference. If you've ever been in a situation where you literally can't move or can't leave, it's so, you feel so powerless. So Mm -hmm. allowing our dogs that ability to choose to leave, even though it may not look that different, makes a huge difference inside if they understand that concept. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and in in addition to that, while we're talking about building our dog's confidence and helping them learn how to tackle these fears, we also want to allow them experiences where that's not the only thing they have to do. You know, so if our dog likes walks, you know, we want to be able to go bike drawing with our dog someday, but our dog is worried about bikes. Well, tackle your bike fear stuff in a completely neutral environment, the big field, the approach and the retreat. And when you go practice canny hiking and can across, go to trails where there aren't bikes around, you know, give your dog the ability to learn and have fun and build new experiences that don't always have to be surrounded by these things that are creating fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we just got a new, a new park that they put the dog park in the middle of the park. Oof. And I'm just thinking, and there's a a track like around it. And Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking how stressful that's going to be for the dogs in, for the dogs out. And just thinking how uh, I love to take kind of 
just these neutral hikes or runs with my dogs where we yeah. can go elsewhere and almost, I mean, of course we wouldn't be the only ones on the trail, but we live in a pretty populated area, but thinking about just kind of your dog's like diet for the week of what right. are they seeing? What are they feeling? What are they doing? And think about how we can set them up for success based on the environment. Yep. I like that a lot. One thing I love is the emotional cup and making sure that we fill yeah. their emotional cup, you know, and even though we're our fear training when done right, the dog isn't experiencing a lot of stress and is building really positive associations, there still is likely going to be a little bit of stress there. And so that can be a little um, draining of that emotional cup. So then finding those other outlets that really can make our dogs feel good and um, that don't always involve having having to tackle that fear is mm -hmm. so important. And we don't want it to feel that weird either. You know, we don't want our dogs to be, if we make it feel really weird, like if we took it to say a football field where they've never been before and mm -hmm. we put the bike in the middle and we're just circling it and circling it, the dog may start to pay more attention, may actually become sensitized to it right? because we want them to. So instead we want to keep sessions really short, keep mm -hmm. sessions really fun. And so not that we're creating this, I feel like we're a shark, like da 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 We don't want to keep pushing and getting closer, but randomizing our trials yeah. and making it so that the dog is still having fun and not trying to figure out what on earth we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And and knowing that there's there's light at the end of the tunnel, you know, that taking the time that your dog needs now and taking a step back from certain areas, really identifying those those things that do cause stress and helping your dog learn that they are okay. You know, building those positive associations so that they can, you know, recover quicker from those fear reactions and, you know, learn to trust us because that's a huge part of dog powered sports too. You guys are working as a team. Your dog has to know their stuff and your dog has to be able to trust you and you have to be able to trust your dog. You know, it's a two-way thing. So mm -hmm. helping them in the right way, kind of tackle those fears really does go a long way in boosting that relationship. Yeah, we're literally tied to them. So nobody wants the other being at the other end just to be barking orders at them and telling them to push on and no matter what, you know, that would be kind of stressful. So rather right. having that anchor of trust on the other end, encouraging you to go forward instead of forcing you. Yeah. And that brings me to this thought that I had, Chelsea, too, of all the stuff we've been saying has been fantastic, but also thinking that sometimes, you know, genetics are at play, environments at play, the self, the talking about like the legs model now of, and learning is at play, but we're also thinking about how it may never be perfect that when we're checking progress, right? it may be. So for Klaus is not thrilled in cars. He doesn't look fantastic. He doesn't look super relaxed, but boy, does he look way better than he was. Right. So thinking about um, a good way to measure that uh, Victoria taught me about rate of recovery so maybe before, if a bike went by your dog, um, maybe you used to just say, come on, go on, whatever, while the bike came by. Maybe now you get over on the trail and your dog still stops and stares, but then instead of uh, panting or lunging and barking right afterwards, maybe now your dog takes 30 seconds instead of a minute to recover. Right and moves on. Or maybe, you know, you, you really get that space that you need or you've decreased that now. So you can just run 10 feet away and not react. So we're thinking yeah. about just measuring that progress. So you keep yourself honest. You also keep yourself hopeful mm -hmm. that there is change, but it doesn't have to be perfect and mm -hmm. it may never be perfect. And that's okay. Because again, fear can be adaptive. Fear is a normal response. 
And we do this really weird thing that we strap these <laughs> animals to us and, and ride machines next to them and expect everything to be hunky-dory. Um, yeah. It's a little odd. Yeah. I, I love that too. I always talk to my clients about looking for better you know, because the world is not a perfect place. I am not a perfect person. I don't expect my dogs to be perfect, but I want to look for better, right? So having, like you said, some way to measure that so that we can go, okay, how does this look today compared to how it looked a month ago, right? And I expect still within that training plan for there to be a little bit of mountain peaks, right? <laughs> some days are way better. Some days we kind of fall into that valley a little bit, but in general, we should see improvement, you know, and if we're not in general seeing improvement, I can't look and say, I've been working really hard on this, you know, for the last couple of months, I'm really not seeing any progress. Then that's probably an indicator that we need to bring in some professional help. And that's totally okay too. You know, there's, there's never any shame in saying I can't do this alone and I need a little bit of help. Mm-hmm. I hired Chelsea. I'm raising my hand right now. <laughs> I've called in professional help. Even as a professional dog trainer myself, it's nice to have other eyes on your dogs, especially yep. when you're doing dog sports. It's really helpful to have that third party that can come in and give you the feedback that you're looking for. But yeah, tracking your own progress and bringing in professional help, especially if you, if you can't identify what is triggering your dog's fear. That's right. totally okay. There's, these are complicated guys. We're complicated. We don't always know what triggers us. Mm -hmm. So bring in some professional help and get to the bottom of that because life's too short to live with that much fear too. So yeah. call in, you could call in your vet, your professional dog trainer, vet behaviorist. Yep. yep, absolutely. Well, Allie, thank you so much for hanging out with me and talking about fear and learning how to help our dogs and our listeners' dogs feel better because like you said, life is short and we want to have fun with our dogs doing this great sport. Any last little tidbits that come to your mind? I would say that for me, measurement is all about it. Just, And I'm not saying keeping a journal per se, although if you're a writing kind of person, journals are great for you. But for me, it's just the mindfulness that that's what really helped me with my own personal mountain biking is I noticed that I was having these meltdowns like a mile and a half into my rides. And it was only happening at these new places. And so I noticed that if I go pre-ride before a race the day before, my race is so much better and I feel better. And, and it's like a joke now that when I get through that first mile and a half, I'm like, oh, here comes my freak out. And, <laughs> and the, the anxious feelings come up, but I still say, you know what, this is okay. Let's weather this. It's going to pass. You're going to be fine. And I feel confident. So now I do the same thing with Klaus is that if I, I just try and be mindful with his progress that mm -hmm. I'll, at the end of a walk, I'll say, we did really well today. We had a child approach and he was loose. It was fantastic. We also did this. Uh, we also had, a, you know, I didn't anticipate this dog coming up on us and he did react, but you know what? My bad buddy, I'll help you. I'll help you next time. I'll see that. So just being mindful, being reflective mm -hmm. and being, being kind to yourself and your dogs, yeah. because like Chelsea said, we're, we're looking for better. Um, and who knows, maybe every day can be better, maybe not, but if we're going to get through it all together and we're going to feel better at the end of it. Yeah. One thing I want to add to that real quick is it's, it's very easy. And I know I've mentioned this before, probably on this podcast, <laughs> even as a professional dog trainer, even as a positive reinforcement dog trainer, who is literally trained to see the positives in our dogs and to help people identify the positives. I am 
often very harsh on myself. So I understand that type of conversation that we can have in our heads. So along with that compassion for yourself and trying to be compassionate and and be your own friend, I also always like to, at the end of something, if there's a problem that, that we had, okay, awesome, write it down. Right. And I can come back to that later and kind of analyze um, what happened and what I can do better next time and and maybe what kind of training plan I need to implement on that. But also start to look for the positives. Like you just said, a kid walked up to my dog and he did okay. And we saw another dog in the distance and my dog wasn't worried. My dog instead moved with me, you know, and of course, seeing those uh, moments where we can go, okay, I need a little more work here. And but not dwelling on it, also looking at the positives and and seeing that improvement that you and your dog are making. Yeah, I was thinking, and you were talking about um, seeing problems because we we can always say nice things to ourselves. You know, we can practice gratitude and say those mm-hmm. things. But I also like to have you know we could say three good things. Chelsea yeah. and I talk about that from KPA, but also the one thing that you want to work on next time. Yeah, and there, you know, we do want to make progress. So thinking about how we can be better next time, I was actually just thinking, Chelsea, you said something about that was like straight out of ice, ice, baby. (laughs) You just said like, if there's a problem, yo, I'll solve it. And I was like, check out this podcast while Chelsea resolves it. Like, woof, woof, baby. Here we go. It was in my head. You totally said something like that. And I was just singing ice, ice, baby. So now I'm going to sing that. I'm going to go out for my run later and I'm just going to be jogging. I'm like, if there's a problem, yo, I'll solve it. <laughs> I'm check, dying. <laughs> check out my run while Chelsea resolves it. Positive futures. Bum, 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 bada, bum, bum. Well, there hey, you, you know, we can solve problems. <laughs> there and you go. so could you with your fearful dog. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that that was helpful for you guys. And I hope that helps you tackle some fear with your dogs. Allie, thank you so much for joining. Always a blast talking to you. Thank you. This is great. So until next time, have fun chasing tails on the trail.